And so we're going to take some time and look into God's Word together. And uh, just to start today, I wanted to say that the way that some people get into a pool really annoys me. Now, just the fact that I'm talking about a pool on a day like today probably annoys you. But <laughs> the, the way that pe- some people get into the pool annoys me. And what I mean by that is because some people, whether the pool is hot or cold or somewhere in between, they like to get in extremely slowly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe you're one of these people. <laughs> Go up to the pool, put your foot in. Okay. I think my left pinky toe is used to the water now, <laughs> so I can put my foot in. Whoa, that's a bit cold. <laughs> okay, my foot might be used to it, so maybe I can take another step down. Eee, yikes. <laughs> and they take forever <laughs> getting into the pool. I used to be like this when I was a lot younger. I liked to just take my time getting in until I realized how painful that was and how much better of a way there was to get into a pool. Jump all the way in, even head under the water, get used to it, your body starts adjusting quicker, and the pool, instead of becoming painful, becomes refreshing and enjoyable. And like those people who just take forever, one step at a time, getting in, you know what I want to do to those people? (laughs) Push them in. (laughs) Get used to the water already, come on. (laughs) That's what I want to do to them. Basically, to encourage them in a way to get into the water quicker and get used to it. When it comes to our faith, I think that there's a parallel here, that sometimes a lot of us really need some encouragement to get going and get moving in our faith and really need a push to help us, to push us along. It's not an annoying thing. I think it's a human thing. We all do this. We all need the encouragement. We don't naturally want to grow spiritually. And being spiritually encouraged, whether it's a gentle shove or a violent push, it can be a good thing to keep us growing and to, become, to help us become more like Christ. Well, last week we began a series called Connected in Community. And we're going through in this series the commands in the New Testament known as the One Another's. I don't know if you've heard of those, but the one another is basically things that we are to do for or to or with one another in the body and the family of Christ. And so these are things that we're told to do, and they help us become connected in community, something that we as relational beings were created to be in. We were created to be in community in relation with one another. Today we're looking at a passage that's going to talk to us about spiritually encouraging one another giving us a little bit of a push, helping us to encourage one another, and helping each other grow in our faith. The passage we're in today is in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, so if you have your Bibles or if you were given one on the way in, you turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It's after First and Second Timothy, which we were in earlier, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews. And we're going to be in chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. But as we come to God's word, let's just uh, pray and help him and ask him to help us to grow into truth. Lord, we come to you again today and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Uh, We pray once again for Lynn uh, that you would be with them in this time. But we want to turn our hearts right now to your word, 
to learn more from it. We pray that you would teach us, that your spirit would be moving in each one of our hearts, that each one of us would not think that we can't learn anything new, but that we can all grow and grow more into your likeness. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just a bit of context on the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote this book. It's one of the few books in the Bible we don't know the author. But it could have been Paul, could have been Barnabas, another, someone else in the early church. But the book of Hebrews was written to early Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews. They were into the Hebrews, and but they were Christians, Jewish Christians that were going through trials. Probably they were in continued persecution from either the religious rulers or the Roman rulers at the time. And so the author was writing to them to encourage them in this hard time. And throughout the book, he talks about the Israelites' history, how Jesus fits into that history, and then how Jesus came as the ultimate sacrificial lamb and the ultimate great high priest, and using a lot of imagery from the Jewish history and how Jesus fits in and completes that, really. And then in chapter 10, where we are today, he starts talking about what our response to Jesus should be. But our response, in light of all that he's done, what do we need to do? And in chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, the author starts giving us four lettuces. Not lettuce, but lettuces. Like, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. And then we're going to be looking at the last two today of those. And because these two specifically, are they're one another's, and they deal with community. They deal with how we're to live in community. So we're going to read together Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. There's some things we learn from these verses. And from this verse, I think the first thing we're going to learn is that we need to creatively spur one another on to apply our faith. As Christians, we need to spur one another on to love people and to do good deeds. We need to creatively spur one another on in applying our faith. Did you see this? And let us consider how we may, here's the one another, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We don't often use the word spur today, especially as a verb or as something we do. And that's because most of us don't usually ride horses today. It's kind of become a thing of the past. But you know what a spur is? I really love this analogy that the author of Hebrews uses here. i uh, just uh, going to put some pictures of spurs up on the screen. Here's some spurs. They attach to your cowboy boot. Okay, You get on a horse, and basically, you kick them into the horse's side. It's like a gas pedal for horses. <laughs> it makes the horse go. It makes them move. Right? So that's what a spur is. And the rider, I'm sure you've seen it in movies before, something where the rider kicks it in, and basically it's when they yell, Giddy up! Yeah! Go! Like, get going! Kicks the, the boots into the horse, and they get moving. And the horse is really motivated. So imagine, as the author is saying here, so spur one another on, imagine yourself as a horse. Or, imagine one of your Christian friends as a horse, if that's easier to do. <laughs> God wants us to spur one another on in our faith. We're to spur each other on, motivate each other somehow to do certain things, to move forward. 
The word that the NIV translates as spur, other translations translate as stir up or stimulate or to provoke. Other definitions of the word include to incite, to irritate, agitate, encourage. Now, did you notice something about those? seems kind of negative encouragement, doesn't it? Agitate, to irritate, to provoke. I really like the use of spur that the NIV uses because the analogy includes that idea. Do you think that a horse finds a spur very comfortable? Not at all. Now, it doesn't do any lasting damage. They wouldn't use the spurs on their prized horses to do that. Like, it doesn't hurt them permanently, but it hurts them. It, inc- it really is uncomfortable. They have to move. And so the fact that the spur is uncomfortable motivates the horse. And when we talk about spiritually spurring one another on, it's not some kind of weak or wimpy kind of spiritual encouragement. It can make us uncomfortable. It can make us hurt. It's the type of encouragement that shoves you off into the pool. So how can this spiritual encouragement hurt? Well, if it's honest spiritual encouragement, it might point out your sin. It might point out where you've messed up or where you're still messing up. We all do that. It might be a call to, for you to return to living for God instead of yourself, instead of your friends, instead of your peers or your pleasures. And true friends... True Christian friends sometimes need to hurt you to get your attention. We do. They don't backstab you, though. They frontstab you. There's a a Christian band who wrote some lyrics a few years back that said, True friends, they stab you in the face. It's like, you know it's coming, and it's good for you, but it hurts. It can hurt. The Holy Spirit sometimes uses, I think, uses us to convict one another and to prompt each other. If any one of my Christian friends started getting into things that they shouldn't, think maybe like pornography or drugs, maybe drunkenness or sexual immorality, whatever the case, I need to act on that. I need to spur them on back to the truth. It's like as a Christian brother, I need to spur them away from these things. Often this spring might come through the sharing of God's word. Uh, the author of Hebrews, somewhere else in the book, in he, I think chapter 4, he has, uses the analogy saying that God's word is like a double-edged sword, piercing us. It can hurt. The truth can hurt. And as we listen to scripture, share scripture with one another, it can help spur us on. Now it's not all negative. It's not all spurring away from things, though. Because it's also spurring us toward things. Did you see this passage? What it says? Let us consider how we may spur one one another on to what? Toward love and good deeds. We're to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. We talked about the importance of loving one another last week. How this was one of the final commands Jesus gave his disciples. That we're to love one another as Christ loved us. How he ministered and served and then died, sacrificed himself. So we're to love when he, we're to spur one another on, encouraging to love each other. Do you ever do that? 
one of your friends or family members say, come on, we need, you need to do better in loving someone, in doing this. We can do this together. The second thing we're spur- to spur each other on to is good deeds. And of course, love and good deeds go hand in hand. Because love is the motivation for good deeds. And, good, and through good deeds, we show love. They're very connected. Good deeds are exactly what they sound like. Good things we do for other people or for God, whether that's serving or giving or praying, ministering, encouraging. So we're to spur one another on towards things. These are the ways that our faith is applied to our life. How what's in our heart comes out and shows. Where the rubber meets the road. You know what's clear from this passage? That we're not saved by good works but that we are saved for good works. We are. In the verses right before, which we're going to look at in a minute, it said that we are saved through the blood of Jesus. And that we need to spur one another on toward love and good good works. That comes after. We've all got a sin problem, and we cannot be saved by doing good works. It's impossible. We can never do enough good works to get in the good with God. But we are only saved through our faith. But then after we're saved, we're to do good works. That's what we're saved for. Then they're supposed to follow. It's putting the cart before the horse sometimes, what we do. Good works is to be the major result of our faith, what we do. In your notes, I said to creatively spur one another on. To creatively spur one another on. And that's because the author here says, puts one word. He says to consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. We're to really consider this. Think about it. Ponder it. Think, come up with ways that we can more effectively spur one another on. The New Living Translation says that this. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. Or like what the message says, the paraphrase, it says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Let's see how inventive we can be in doing this. One of the ways that we're hoping to, as a church, to be creative with this is in our small groups. We're hoping that this will be a way that we can help spur one another on more towards love and good deeds. It's a way that we can encourage one another to keep growing in our faith and then applying that faith, to life. But there's so many other ways, too. I'd love for you to take some time this week, even on the way home from church, or talk about it with your family. What are ways that we can spur one another on more? Help each other grow in love and good deeds. And then come up with an action plan on how you can do that. Well, some of you might be wondering... What's the big deal? Why is this so important? I mean, this says we're supposed to do it, but I don't get why. Why should we, I mean, doing love and good deeds and growing in that, that could take a lot of energy and time and work and effort. It can. So why should I be motivated to do this? Well, the author of Hebrews doesn't leave us in the dark, but in order to answer this, we're going to have to jump back a few verses. We're going to jump back to verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 19, it says this. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's the context that this verse is in. And from these verses, I think we learn that we need to creatively spur one another on to apply our faith because... We have been purified by the blood of Jesus, our high priest. We need to spiritually encourage each other because Jesus purified us. We need to spur one another on because we have been purified by the blood of Jesus, our high priest. Did you see the connection between these verses? You see that? In verse 19 it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so therefore... Since Jesus shed his blood, and then in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, therefore since this and since this, let us do this. And then he lists, we already mentioned this, for let us, is in verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold unswerving, unswervingly to the hope we profess. And then the third one, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're going to look at the fourth one in a minute as well. But do you see the connection there? See the connection? Some of you might be like, okay, I see, but I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get what the blood of Jesus and him being our high priest has to do with us encouraging one another. I don't get how those connect. And that's a good question. There are are a couple reasons that I see, but you'll have to stick with me, because this gets a little bit deep, okay? So stick with me. We're going to have to look even a little bit further back in the passage to verse 10. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties, Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. can stop there. The first thing, reason here is that because we have been made pure before God and through Jesus' blood, the key thing about this is that purity before God should inspire purity before men. We've been made pure before God, and that purity should inspire us to live it out before men. We are to, as we spur one another on, we're helping each other to do that, pushing each other towards that. We are not good in and of ourselves. But Christ's blood has made us good, has made us righteous before him. And we should encourage one another to live out that righteousness. A second reason here, Christ is now our high priest. 
that means that we are no longer under the Old Testament law. Okay, so we don't have the Old Testament priests going to need to offer sacrifices for us again and again, burnt sacrifices and grain sacrifices and all these sacrifices. We have Christ in heaven who has offered his body once for all as a sacrifice for our sins. He's our high priest. Now, we are no longer required to keep the law. We're freed from that. But, God still wants us to do good works. Where does the motivation come from? Well, one of the things that God set up that we'd be motivated is the church. That we'd spur one another on. Encourage one another. We're not under law anymore. The law today really manifests itself in many ways. And one of the ways would be spiritual checklists. You might not keep an actual list, but it's in your head. Okay, if I read my Bible and I pray and I uh, share my faith, okay, that makes me a good Christian. And you might have any number of boxes to check off. That's the law. We're not under that anymore. We're freed from it. We don't want to add boxes to your checklist when we encourage you to come to church or to join a small group one day or to worship God together or to spur one another on together. We don't want to add boxes. We want you to encourage you to do these things out of the motivation that the grace and the blood of Jesus gives us. You see the connection now? It's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we're to be motivated to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you're here and you have never, maybe this is all foreign to you, you've never been purified by the blood of Jesus. Like, see, we all have sin. Each one of us starts with that sin nature. We have fallen. So we're all dirty with sin. But Christ's blood was shed to purify us because we couldn't pay the punishment for our sin. We couldn't. His blood paid that penalty. Now we can be brought into his family by the blood of Christ. If you haven't been purified, the number one thing you need to leave here remembering is not to spur one another on. It's that you need to be purified. This is the number one step. You need to do this. Jesus shed his blood, paid your punishment. No good works that you can do can accomplish that. Only his blood. We can talk more about that after the service. If if that still confuses you or you need to ask more questions, that's fine. Let's talk. I'd love to. That's what I'm here for. But if you need to be saved and purified, please, please accept Christ today. No time like today. Well, for us who have been purified already through Jesus' blood, we need to keep encouraging one another, keep spurring one another on. But how should we do this? How's the best way to go about spurring one another on? Well, in the final application that the author gives in this passage, I believe we see a primary method of spiritual encouragement that still stands true today. And that's that we need to creatively spur one another on to apply our faith by faithfully meeting together to encourage one another. We spur one another on by spiritually 
continuing to meet together for encouragement. And I get this from the next that we haven't read yet. Read with me again in verse 24 and then 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's the fourth let us. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the best ways that we can encourage one another is just by keeping meeting together. Keep meeting together. What takes place when we meet together as believers keeps us growing, keeps spurring us on, the teaching of God's word and the preaching and the fellowship, the encouragement of fellow believers, the worship, it spurs us on, pushes us, keeps us moving forward. Uh, Colossians 3.16 describes some of the activities that take place when we meet together. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. These things keep us growing, keep spurring us on. Now, if there was anyone who had a great excuse for not meeting together, it was the people this letter was written to. The Hebrew people that the author wrote to, they were in the midst of persecution for their faith, under fierce persecution. Many of them would be risking their lives by even stepping out of the door to go meet together. If any situation called for hiding away at home, studying your Bible on your own, praying alone, it was this one. But, and that's apparently what many people were deciding to do. The author says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some are already rejecting it, not meeting together. And we think we have excuses today. We do have our excuses, but I can guarantee you that none of them are as good as possibly dying for your faith. I mean, there's some, there's some good excuses, like if we're sick and we don't want to get other people sick, that's fine. Or if you're on a trip out of town, as long as it's not a long time where you should meet up with other Christians where you're going, that's fine, that's understandable. But what we, some of the excuses we come up with are really sad. Sometimes we just don't feel like it. Don't feel like going to church. Don't feel like seeing people. Maybe there's a little bit of snow on the ground. Maybe we were out late on Saturday night and our pillow seemed a whole lot more attractive than a pew. And even though we go to work or class at 8 or 9 in the morning every weekday, coming to church at 10 or 11 just seems way too early. Right? It's ridiculous the excuses we can come up with for not meeting together. Now, many of you here are probably thinking, wait a second, I'm already here. I'm here at church, so why are you telling this to me? I mean, telling us to come to church is like playing advertisements for McDonald's while I'm eating at McDonald's. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. And some of you are great. Some of you are very faithful attenders of the church and meeting together, and that's amazing. That's great. Encourage you to spur you on, keep going. Others, you show up on occasion, or maybe you're of this mindset that I can say, "Okay, 
I can afford the hour and a half of time on Sunday morning. 11 o'clock, I'll be there. And I'll leave afterwards, that's fine. Hour and a half, I cannot afford any more time than that. I can't get up earlier, maybe to go to Sunday school or to take your kids to Sunday school. I can't afford an hour on a Wednesday night to come and pray for people. Or maybe as we're talking about small groups a lot, you already have a mindset of like, oh, we can't afford that time. I'm already not, I've already decided that I'm not signing up for that. Because I can only afford this time right now. We all get into this mindset. And I would just respond to you and say that you need to consider your priorities. What's really important to you. If spiritual growth is a priority, and it should be if you are a believer in Christ, then you will find the time necessary to grow in your faith. You will. Today, in North America, there is a very strong anti-church sentiment that's been growing. It's really a movement. Some of you may not even know this. You know, I've been in church for years. I didn't know people were, were not liking church. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about believers. Many people are starting to do exactly what the writer of Hebrews says not to do. Let us not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. It's becoming very hip to say that I'm a Christian, but I don't associate with any church. It's hard to put a label on this movement. It's somewhat related to the emergent church movement, but it's broader than that. Um, Kevin Young describes it this way. It says, Increasingly, we hear glowing talk of a churchless Christianity. It is easy to read any number of personal memoirs where professing Christian men and women tell their tale of disenchantment with the local church and their bold step away from church into what they would say is a fuller, more satisfying Christian life. Outsiders like Jesus, but not the church. Insiders have been told they can do just fine with God apart from church. Some people may be disillusioned. Some people may have been hurt. Others may just enjoy watching church online or on the TV. Whatever the reason, though, this movement has been growing. But there's some really major problems with this viewpoint. The main one being that this is the opposite of how God intended us to grow. God never intended us to live as solo Christians. There are reasons, and good reasons at that, that Jesus established the church. Did you know that Jesus established the institutional church? There's reasons for that. With leaders and with preaching, with instructions for worship, with community. The church isn't perfect because it's run and it's attended by imperfect people. But the church is Jesus' bride. And how could we reject, or how could we accept Christ while rejecting his bride? I want to appeal to you, especially you young people. You'll hear of it. As you grow up and you get into, especially university circles and stuff, you'll hear a lot of this movement. I want to encourage you. 
do not get caught up in a churchless Christianity. A churchless Christianity really is an oxymoron. Not for our sake as the church, but for your sake as part of the church and as a Christian. Despite what you may feel at times, you really do need the church. You need the community and the fellowship and the spiritual encouragement that only come by being part of the body of Christ and being with the body of Christ. Kevin DeYoung continues uh, in his book, Why We Love the Church. He says this, Every way of doing church in every context has its strengths and weaknesses. We all have things to learn and areas in which we need to grow. The one constant is that we all need Christ. We need his word, his spirit, and not least of all, his bride. If we are to make it in the world as a people and make a difference in the world as his people, we need the church. And then he says, the church is not an incidental part of God's plan. Jesus didn't invite people to join an anti-religion, anti-doctrine, anti-institutional bandwagon of love, harmony, and reintegration. To be sure, he showed people how to live. But he also called them to repent, called them to faith, called them out of the world, and called them into the church. So giving up on church is something we should never do. Giving up on it. But the author of Hebrews finishes this verse with something that we should do. It says, Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit are doing, but let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. We should continue to meet together with this goal. The goal of encouragement. This is referring to very much the same type of spiritual encouragement as earlier. The same idea of spurring on. Some, inver- some versions say exhorting one another. Exhortation. Exhort to exhort means to incite, to urge strongly, or to give warnings or advice. Keep you growing. This is one of the reasons we're starting up small groups. Because in the short time on Sunday mornings, this hardly ever happens. It's hard to really exhort or to spur one another on in a short time on Sunday mornings. Some of you might even walk in at 10.59 and walk out one minute after the service, and there's no spiritual encouragement from other believers. It has to happen from way more than just the pulpit. It has to. But in small groups, this type of community often happens very naturally through fellowship, through studying scripture together, just sharing our lives together, praying for one another, holding each other accountable to grow. And when we provide the opportunity, we'd love it if everyone got involved. We, it would just be a, such a great thing if our church was growing united in this way. Now, some of you might say, well, okay, I don't see the need for this today. In this time frame, in this age, because the need of meeting together was important for the early church. Sure, they had to grow. The church had to grow from something. We already have churches everywhere. We have people everywhere. And through technology or whatever reason, it's not as important to meet together all the time. But that's not what Scripture says, does it? It doesn't say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another And you can stop one day sometime. No, what it says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
What day is that talking about? The Lord's return. All the more as we see the Lord's return approaching. All the more often. It's all the more needed. Let me ask you, do you think we're closer to the Lord's return now than they were 2,000 years ago? For sure. The day is still approaching. And as we see it approaching, it becomes all the more important. The importance of meeting together has only become more important with time. How many of you saw the Super Bowl last week? In football, <laughs> in football games often come down to the last couple minutes of a game. I'm amazed how often this happens, because they play 60 minutes of a game. You would think a lot more decided earlier. But so many games are decided in the last couple minutes of a game. And this Super Bowl, it wasn't decided then, but it was no exception. The Steelers, the team that ended up losing, weren't completely out of it until the very last minute of play. If they had played the last two minutes of the game just a little bit better, they could have won. But all, they had to keep playing all the way till the end. As the game went on, each play became a little bit more, a little bit more important, a little bit more important. A drop pass in the last two minutes was a lot more important than a drop pass in the first quarter. It became all the more important. The intensity of the game just keeps growing as the game goes on. And as Christians, the intensity of our spiritual encouraging one another needs to just keep growing as we see the end of our time on earth approaching. It gets all the more important, all the more necessary. So when was the last time that you were encouraged, spiritually spurred on by another believer? When was the last time you spiritually encouraged someone, spurred them on? We need to keep spurring one another on, encouraging each other to, come on, giddy up, get moving, get growing. Come on, brother, come on, sister, let's move together towards maturity, towards community. Need to get pushing each other in the pool. And as we do this, I believe that we become more connected in the community together. As God intended. Because God intended us to be a people that were purified by his blood. And then placed into his church. In community. Because for mutual encouragement, spiritual growth. From the day we're saved until the day he returns for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the church. The church in sometimes its glory and sometimes its mess. We thank you for the body of believers that you have placed us in. It's universal. By your blood, it's holy. We pray that we would encourage one another and spur each other on, that we would keep meeting together, faithfully meeting together, to help each other grow. We know we can't do this on our own. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for teaching us from your word. We pray that we would 
seek to live out the message of your word as we go from here today. We ask this in your name. Amen.